Hi everyone, kia ora and welcome to Your Money Matters, Ethical Investing with me, Dr. Roger Spiller. Thanks for listening. As a specialist ethical investment advisor through my advisory firm Money Matters, I aim to educate individuals about how they can make money and make a difference. This podcast is purely educational and it is not financial advice. This means that everything we cover is for the purposes of giving information and providing education only. In today's podcast, I'm joined by an ethical investor, Mark, a new client of Money Matters, who has kindly agreed to be interviewed about his experience as an ethical investor coming aboard the Money Matters Walker. To give you more insight to ethical investment, we will explore the why, the what, and the how of the ethical investment journey from Mark's motivations through to his ethical investment plan and portfolio provided by Money Matters. This particular podcast is timed to coincide with Ethical Investment Week, October 3rd to 9th, 2022, which is an opportunity to learn more about working with an advisor to invest in line with your ethics. Coordinated by the Ethical Advisors Co-op, a group of leading expert ethical advisors, the week's purpose is to connect investors with advisors who are specialists in the ethical space, so you can ensure your investments are best suited to your beliefs, attitudes and ethics. As ethical investment becomes increasingly mainstream, instances of what financial market regulators have called misleading marketing, poor product design, and other types of greenwashing are rising. For the discerning investor, this means finding authentic ethical investments can prove a challenge. For its ninth year, Ethical Investment Week is focusing on how you can work together with a specialist ethical advisor with an aim to genuinely do well and do good. Money Matters was the first New Zealand member of the co-op and is currently the only New Zealand member. There are 31 co-op advisors who collectively advise on over $2 billion on behalf of over 3,300 Australians and New Zealanders. That's 3,301 now, Mark, thanks to you becoming a client of Money Matters. Welcome, Mark, and thanks very much for joining us today. Let's begin with the question of why did you decide to seek ethical investment advice? Well, kia ora, Roger. My partner and I have been involved in uh, investing our funds for our retirement for about 15 years, and for all that time, we've considered or thought about how our investment can make a bit of a difference in the world, but we weren't quite sure how to make that come about. Uh, We weren't happy with the uh, advisors we'd worked with and the funds we had been in, uh, largely because the information we were given was very thin. Uh, There were very few uh, numbers or facts that could lead us to believe that our money was in fact making much of a difference. And most of what we were told uh, when we asked how ethically uh, our money was being invested was that we weren't doing very much harm. Basically, uh, the worst investments were filtered out um, uh, due to our requests, and uh, we knew that we weren't investing in uh, oil companies and so on. But uh, beyond that, we had very little information. Uh, Like many people, we were also increasingly concerned with the state of the environment, uh, climate change. We have two sons who are now university age and we're very much aware of the future they're going to have and the problems that we're passing on to them and their offspring and we wanted to do more than just not do harm we wanted to do something more positive and we thought we could do better and we could invest in companies that were making more of a positive change in the world and uh uh, we weren't feeling that we were getting that from our uh, advisors that we had worked with and the funds that we had been investing in. And uh, so we thought we'd look around and find uh, a new advisor and hopefully develop a new portfolio in line with our ethical interests and our concerns about, um, as I say, the environment, which was foremost in our in our mind when we started this. What were the key criteria that you used for choosing an advisor and why money matters? Well, as I mentioned, we worked with a few different advisors. And one thing that struck me was how 
can I say, thin um, the education of some of them was in terms of uh, ethically investing funds. And many seem to have, you know, maybe a business degree, maybe a few weeks doing a course on how to invest or upgrading occasionally on uh, latest changes in the, I guess, the markets or maybe something on ethically investing. But it wasn't their focus. Um, it was their job. And we saw our investing as more than just putting money aside for our retirement, but we thought this could be uh, a chance to do something positive, do something active. And we weren't happy uh, dealing with someone who was just going to help us put our money somewhere where it was less likely to disappear uh, and where it was going to earn a bit more than what it might if we left it in the bank. Um, but we just weren't excited about their approach. It was very much, this is the way things are done. Uh, here's the off-the-shelf portfolio for someone who says they're interested in ethical investing. And here you go. You're not going to be in oil and you're not going to be supporting child labor and uh, good on you. And that just wasn't enough for us. And so we wanted to find someone who um, had some expertise in this area and someone who shared our interest and maybe even our passion in doing something uh, positive, given our concerns about the future we were leaving to uh, not just our sons, but their friends and others down the line. So I did a lot of research online, um, searching key terms, ethical investments, sustainable investing, and so on. And uh, I found um, Money Matters. I found the Ethical Investors Co-op. And uh, it seemed to me that this was a group of people uh, of like mind who had similar concerns to my partner and I and were part of the vanguard, part of the future of the way I think more people are going to want to invest their money. They were working hard at finding solutions to the problems that we had uh, and being much more active and sharing information. And it's a completely different experience and it's worlds apart from um, our experience to date over the past 15 years. So uh, you've got a PhD in the, in the field, which is unusual. Uh, you're also working in the ethical advisors co-op with others who have similar levels of experience and interests. And as with any wicked problem that we're dealing with, you need a group of people, you need a network, you need a whole community uh, of like-minded people who can work together, not just like-minded, but also diverse thinkers who can work together to help us forge the way ahead. Um, and what we were finding, um, our experience in the past was it was very limited what they had and uh, what they had to offer us in terms of how to invest our money in a way that was going to make a difference that was um, discernible to us, that had numbers attached to it, where we could actually see reports and uh, get deep into what companies were doing with the funds that we we're uh, you know, providing. So it's a completely different world. And once we found it, uh, you know, it just got richer and richer as we explored some of the details and got into the funds and the companies, the fund managers. It's a completely different uh, approach because it's based on values uh, rather than first and foremost, putting your money somewhere where it's going to be safe. And as we know, ethical investments have done well, at least as well as investments that aren't tagged as ethical. Uh, so it's not a question of risking your money. It's a question of doing something more active and in line with your ethics. And I think most of us would like to do this. I heard a piece in the radio not long ago uh, that uh, talked about a survey that showed that most New Zealanders believe that they are ethical people and that they wanted to invest their funds, however they invested, in an ethical fashion but they didn't know how to do it. And I didn't know how to do it. We spent 15 years not doing it, or at least not doing it properly. So uh, when we found your company and found the Ethical Advisors Co-op, we realized that actually there is a whole different approach we could be taking to this, um, where it begins with your ethics and your values, and it flows from there. Um, and I like the idea that ethics and values are first and they drive what you do rather than going to somebody to say, I've got some money to invest. How can I do it safely? Do you have some ideas? Oh, and I don't want to invest in oil companies. And they say, okay, here, 
here's the brochure. Um, this is what we give to people who say they want to invest ethically. And uh, I now know that you can get far better than that. And I think people should demand far better than that because it's available. You just have to put in a bit of effort, find it, find a good advisor like yourself and, and people involved in the ethical advisors co-op. And a whole world opens up, a whole world of possibilities that most people are completely unaware of. Mark, I really appreciate the research that you've put into this process. And when we were speaking earlier, you had mentioned that not being based in Auckland, you'd wondered about how it would be to be working with someone in Auckland. You'd made the analogy with physical health matters and said, well, you know, even though we're not in Auckland, if the best specialist is in Auckland, then we ought to be working with that person. You've had experience talking with me over Zoom on several occasions. And for our listeners, could you just give a bit more insight to your perspective on the leading specialist? Well, certainly, like anyone, we want to be dealing with a professional when it comes to our finances, someone who knows what they're doing and have a background and uh, an education that relates to this field. We also at the beginning thought, well, we'd like to work with someone face-to-face, someone who's in you know, the same city we're living in. And that limited our possibilities pretty dramatically. And then, of course, over the last few years, we've all become more used to using Zoom and other tools to engage with people online. And we've all been involved with uh, at either end uh, distance teaching or other services that we get online. And we realized, of course, it shouldn't be a barrier. It was best to go with the best person we could find in the country and no matter where that person was and uh, see how it worked out. And so we contacted you and fairly quickly, we had some back and forth, both with email and with Zoom. And I have to say that even over the limited time that we've been working with you, it's only been a few months. And now that we're at the stage where we're one of your clients, but Uh, we've engaged with you far more than we have with anyone that we've worked with locally who we've met face-to-face. Because the fact that they're in the same city doesn't necessarily mean you're going to see them more frequently or that when you do see them, you're going to get much out of that meeting. And we were pretty appalled with some of the meetings we've had face-to-face with financial advisors where, aside from showing us some dog-eared chart indicating that over time, the share market will outperform a bank deposit... And I must say, with one of our advisors, we saw that chart more than once. <laughs> you know, we, we expect more than that. We, um, we've been in this game, if you like, for a little while. Uh, we've done some research. We're somewhat experienced investors, and we want more information about where our money's going. And we want to be able to, um, I guess, demand that our money is doing some good. So now that we know that it's possible to ensure all of those things. I can't see uh, why anybody would want to go back uh, and just do the same old, same old uh, and get that same old dog-eared chart that uh, some advisors seem to think is enough to show their clients. Thanks, Mark. And it's been a, a pleasure to have you on board as clients and certainly looking forward to meeting up in person and in due course. Turning to the first meeting we had together, we explored your ethical profile using the Money Matters questionnaire that starts by asking about your vision for the world. We posed questions such as, what kind of ancestor do you want to be? What impact do you want your investments to make? And what legacy do you want to leave? These are questions that Professor Shelley Spiller and I included in our Wayfinding and Ethical Investment webinar for last year's Ethical Investment Week, which listeners can access via the Money Matters website. How did you feel about those questions, Mark? Well, they weren't questions I was used to being asked. And uh, I did uh, listen to that uh, piece, uh, that recording that you put up a year ago. And I was pretty impressed, really, that in discussing financial matters, one could first ask questions like, what kind of an ancestor do you want to be? Uh, And and totally appropriate, really. I mean, in anything that we do, any activities, whatever we're doing, it makes sense to first say, okay, let's check in with what our ethics are, what our values are. I have a decision here to make. Um, How can I make this decision that's in line with my ethics and my beliefs? 
And why not also think a bit more large scale, longer term and say, well, how do I want to be perceived by not just my children, but my children's children, uh, the grandchildren of their friends? You know, how do I want to be perceived? How do I want to make an impact in terms of what I'm doing even here with my decision about where to put my money in a way that I'm going to be happy with if I was to look back some hundreds of years from now? Have I been part of the solution or have I just been another person who um, was along for the ride and in the end was part of the problem? So I think those questions are really helpful because it pulls us back, gives us a chance to think about our investment activities as part of our broader sense of who we are, where we are, where we want to be, what we want to be doing, and what kind of a difference we want to make in the world. I think it's a perfect place to start. Uh, So I think that really, that helped. And that question of what kind of an ancestor do you want to be really got me thinking. And as I filled out the ethical investor questionnaire that you you gave us, uh, the more I wrote and the more I thought, the more I started questioning my initial assumptions about what I wanted to do and what kind of investments I thought I wanted to make because this whole world opened up and I realized that it wasn't just limited to what I already knew might be a a useful thing to invest in, whether it's electric vehicles or um, windmill-generated power, but there were a group of people, a, a community of people, who were interested in similar questions, similar issues. And I could listen to what they were saying. I could involve myself in these larger conversations. I could learn more than I currently know about ethical investments. And um, yeah, it's it's a whole opportunity for growth, really, uh, in terms of uh, thinking about where we are in the world, where we want to be in the world, what kind of an impact we want to have. So I I really appreciated this approach that uh, allowed me to pull back. And for my partner, I'd have these discussions about how we wanted to be uh, perceived uh, by our children, our children's children, and what place we felt we wanted to have in the broader discussion of our community, our world, the environment um, going forward. So I think it's really helpful and it's something we hadn't come across before this idea of thinking about your financial decisions in the context of larger questions about uh, how we conceive of our ourselves, our, our identity, um, and where we fit into the scheme of things. So uh, I think that encourages not just thinking broadly in the large scale long term, but it opens us up into um, approaches and ways of thinking about the future in the way that you know Shelley discusses in her her work on wayfinding, this idea that you need a number of people around you uh, who have their ears to a different ground, or at least they're listening differently to what you might be, and they're picking up different things. So you need to take stock, and a good wayfinder knows how to get a sense of where they are in the world and where they might need to go, what they might need to do. But it's that sense making. Uh, that requires, um, hopefully, and if you can manage it, a group of people, a network of people who have all got their ear to the ground, are hearing different things, are sensing different things, and can share what they're finding, what they're feeling with others around them. Because this way forward in this very difficult time that we're in with climate change and the disasters we're reading about in the paper every day, um, these are wicked problems, and wicked problems require a collaborative effort. You know, we have to design the future together. It's it's co-design. It's it's a, a group activity. So I think these questions that you're asking at the beginning of the process put people into the frame of mind that opens up these possibilities where we're prepared to think differently and consider other points of view, read more deeply, read other things, uh, listen to what um, Aboriginal peoples are telling us and in New Zealand, the the Maori and and their views on um, the world and how we relate to the environment and how we relate to one another, how we relate to the past and to the future. So I think it's it's great, I think, to approach our financial 
investing uh, work and and thoughts in a way that opens up um, our questioning, our our ability to think about our place in the world more broadly. Because usually it's the reverse. We start with a small question of where do I put this sum of money? And then it gets more narrow, that discussion. And somewhere along the line, there might be the question asked, well, would you like an ethical approach to your investment? Because I have a different brochure for people like you. And they pull that brochure out and there it goes. We've done it for you. There it is. It's pretty glossy. It has, you know, you've saved the planet and I hope you feel better tonight and you can sleep well. Uh, you know, we've had that and it's it's really disappointing now. But having gone as far as we have in this journey with, with, with you, uh, Roger, and others who are involved in the funds that you've been putting together for us, uh, I'm, not, I'm now pretty angry about what we've had to date, really. It's been not just limiting, but it's been insulting. You know, no one should feel that uh, they have to turn their funds over to an advisor who gives them so little information and is, has so little interest, really, in uh, ethical and sustainable investment. You know, they they should be leading the charge rather than just passing you another glossy brochure from the stack that they were given a few weeks ago. So it's a, it's a completely different approach. And I think uh, those that find it, uh, that find yourself and others in the ethical advising cooperative, uh, they'll be starting on quite a quite an educational journey. And ours has begun, and I think it'll go from here. I really appreciate the commitment that you've made to upskilling and understanding the field. I think from the perspective of good financial advice, it's key that the client understands the financial and the ethical dimensions, and you've really demonstrated a willingness to take on board the resources that we've shared with you. So thanks for that, Mark. And one of the things that we then explored in the context of really understanding your ethical profile was the concept of engagement with companies, where we were asking, what did you want the fund managers that you are investing with to really focus on when they were talking to the companies that they were investing in, when they were talking to the management and the directors? For example, one of the typical issues is environmental, social, and or governance performance, sometimes described as ESG. As an ethical, strong investor, someone who's really committed to this field, can you share with us a little more about what was most important for you if you had to really prioritize and choose something to focus on with that engagement with the underlying investment companies? Well, the first thing I would say is that I've never before been asked that question. No one has ever said to me, what would you like our fund managers to say to the board of directors of X company? Uh, it was never suggested to me that we had any control or any influence at all over any of the funds or companies that we are investing in. So this idea that you could be provided with information about how well a company was doing in terms of uh, its ethical practices uh, and that you could, through the fund manager and through this network of people that we're working in collaboration with, really, it seems to me, that you could have some influence over how a company behaved and what they did down the road. That was completely new to me. Um, so I had to think about it uh, a lot. And in the end, I decided that if I could focus on one thing, if there was one area that I thought was going to have the most effect on the ability of a company to do the right thing going forward, it would be the issue of governance. Because as I was just saying earlier, I think it's really crucial that we as individuals, as investors, as investors working with advisors, but also as boards of directors, the people who are working on the companies that are doing the work there on the ground, that they have a diverse set of views in front of them, that they're getting a lot of different opinions from people with different worldviews, views, uh, people with different racial backgrounds, people with different degrees, different kinds of education, women, disabled people, people from different races, different cultures. Uh, so I think ensuring a broad and diverse group of advisors on the board of directors is really crucial. So that's the first thing I would look at 
and suggest that a fund manager uh, investigate uh, and report back on is how diverse is their board of directors? How diverse is the group of people they're getting their advice from? Because the more diverse uh, that group is, the more likely it is they've got um, a better set of advice and information to make decisions about what they need to do going forward. Because like many of us, they might have made um, decisions based on erroneous assumptions because of a, a limited amount of information from people who were too much like themselves. So we have to be proactive in working with and listening to people that are who are different from us, who have different backgrounds, and you know, people who can you know give us a bit of a jolt, wake us up, uh, remind us that things aren't the way that they've been for 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 a long time, and that things could be different going forward, and that there are things that need to be addressed that maybe aren't on our radar but should be on our radar. So governance, I think, is an important issue. Thanks, Mark. And you've really highlighted the challenge that investors have in ensuring they are making a difference. Here you are, you know, with your particular uh, portfolio and goals and aspirations, financial and ethical. And by working with Money Matters now, being part of the co-op, we're able to show you how we can, in fact, make a difference with those fund managers. The co-op itself has a lot of engagement with the different fund managers, and Money Matters also works directly with fund managers feeding through this kind of insight, and it's really heartening to see some of the changes that have flown through as a result of those kinds of dialogues and that are now becoming the way that the leaders in ethical investment are approaching the investment decisions, including those key governance issues that you've highlighted. Mark, we also went into quite some depth in the questionnaire around the key issues of concern that you have as ethical investors. We really wanted to understand what activities you wanted to avoid and the strength or degree of concern you had about each issue. Can you, for listeners again, highlight a couple of examples of issues that were important for you and why? Okay, I think this is again an area where I'm learning a lot as we go along because I know what other people would know from reading the news and listening to the news on the radio. We're aware of the major issues that are in front of us all the time to do with climate change and the flooding on the top of the South Island or the fires uh, elsewhere in the country or certainly in Australia and other parts of the world, California at the moment. Uh, these are in the, the foreground of our thinking because they're on the news all the time. There are other issues that we hear less about, often because they're a bit more complex, a bit more complicated. We don't have so many people on the ground reporting on them. But there are things that a good fund manager, a good researcher, a good advisor um, would be aware of or would be able to find out more information about. And as an example, I came across an article just recently that talked about the issue of cobalt mining. Of course, cobalt is an essential raw material that we use in the production of um, the batteries that we have in our cell phones and rechargeable bikes, if it's an electric bike or electric cars and so on. As it turns out, more than half of the world's cobalt resources are in the Democratic Republic of Congo. I don't know about you, Roger, but I've never been there. I don't know anyone who's been there. I've got no direct reports of what's going on in the Democratic Republic of Congo. But that's where 70% of the world's cobalt mining occurs. And about 20% of that mining is informal mining, small-scale mining often involving young children, children as young as six years old. And in this report that I recently read, they mentioned that there are about 255,000 Congolese people actively working in the mining industry, mining for cobalt. Of those, about 40,000 are children. That's more than 15% are children. Uh, and as well as child labor, there are other issues that this article pointed out to do with the extraction of cobalt, because it's linked also with, obviously, safety risks, environmental degradation, and widespread corruption. So we might think we're doing the right thing by buying, as I have, an electric bike, for example, to get around. But we don't often think about where the materials for that electric bike or electric car have come from. 
And if we're faced with decisions around investing, then yes, I want to invest in such a way as to encourage more people to ride a bike or ride an electric bike, or maybe for those for whom it makes sense to have an electric car. But um, we have to be aware of some of the complexities involved in uh, the way industries are working and the way some of these materials arrive in our cell phone, for example. So I'd like to know that I'm working with people uh, in terms of um, financial advisors, fund managers, the researchers that they employ and have working with them who can uncover this stuff, be aware of what's going on and ensure that we're not going to fall into these mine pits, if you like, um, where we could be, uh, without knowing it often, part of uh, the downside of, in this case, cobalt mining. So I'm sure there are some companies that are doing it better than others, um, but this is an issue that we have to address as uh, people who are trying to do the right thing and trying to, for example, use electric um, cars and bikes, and we're all using our phones that use these batteries. But I think that's an example of how complex the issues are involved in uh, when we're looking at uh, what companies are doing, especially in areas that are hard to see and where we don't have so many people on the ground reporting on it. So uh, I don't have an easy answer to the issues around cobalt mining, but um, what that does tell me is that we need to ensure that all along the chain involved in how money gets to these various companies, uh, we're concerned with, aware of, and are sharing information openly and transparently about how these industries are working, how these companies are working, and uh, ensuring that if we're extracting cobalt for some of our devices, we're doing it as ethically as possible, and we're ensuring that we're sharing information about how we're going about these businesses in a way that uh, isn't going to make us um, feel guilty. Uh, so anyway, that's one example. But it, as we go along, I think in this... Uh, uh, journey and trying to become more ethical in our investing, it opens up all these areas where we have to become more um, educated. We have to learn more about, we have a responsibility really to uh, do what we can to learn more about how our money can be invested, is invested, so that when we engage with our financial advisor, with yourself, Roger, and as you engage with the fund managers and the fund managers engage with the people around them and the boards of directors and the companies and so on, that these issues that are often buried in the back pages of the newspaper come to the fore and we address them and we acknowledge them and uh, we deal with them. So uh, the work that we have to do, I think, is not easy. Uh, it can be difficult. It can be complex. And it goes far beyond simply not investing in oil and fossil fuels. It means thinking carefully and working really hard to ensure that we're not just doing the right thing, but we're doing the smart thing. And we're doing it in ways that um, involve all of us becoming a bit more informed and educated about um, how we move into the future, improving our practices in a way that's not going to be disadvantaging people or, for heaven's sake, putting six-year-olds into a mine. Thanks, Mark. Having explored key concerns, Mark, we then turned to explore the issues that you really wanted to support, the activities you really wanted to encourage. And that was part and parcel also of a question around where you sat on the money matters spectrum from ethical light to ethical strong. So we explained that at Money Matters, we have a comprehensive range of portfolios of funds, ranging from light to medium to strong, and how an investor seeking to have the highest positive impact is likely to prefer 100% ethical strong funds that have the highest ethical exclusion thresholds on the one hand, and on the other hand, are focused on the highest positive impact companies that are making the most difference in progress. And that's oftentimes checked in terms of the extent to which they are focusing on and achieving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which listeners might also know as the SDGs. Are these ethical strong funds, as Money Matters classifies them, also provide comprehensive impact measurement so you can most tangibly see just how much your money matters. 
So tell us, Mark, please, a little bit more about what you opted for. I'm imagining listeners can guess which one and why that was particularly important for you. Yeah, well, Roger, again, you you said the word exclusion. And our experience up until meeting you and, and working out this new portfolio was only about exclusions, really. The only option we were given when we indicated an interest in ethical investing was here's a list of things you can exclude, you can decide not to invest in. So the obvious ones, you know, oil, fossil fuels, uh, child labor, and whatever, tobacco. We've never really been given the opportunity to be more proactive and say, beyond the things I don't want to invest in, here are some things I'd like to invest in. Here are some areas that are truly of interest to me. So again, this required a fair bit of discussion between my partner and I, because like me, she had her own views on things that are worth supporting, like, for example, uh, education for women and girls uh, that came up in one of the funds that we looked at, um, you know, a company that's involved in that field, and the extent to which the education of women and young girls makes a huge difference in the ability of a village to pull itself out of poverty and to start companies and initiatives of their own. A little bit of education could go a long way. And we're well aware these days of uh, parts of the world where it's very difficult for women and girls to get an education or where they might have been in an education and the Taliban comes in and decides that's not a very good idea. So there are some areas that we'd like to be more proactive in supporting, like education. Uh, my partner and I are both um, professional educators, um, and it's it's an area that's close to our hearts. So the chance to further specific UN development goals that are in line with our interests and beliefs, uh, that's new to us. And I think it's, uh, it's really exciting. Uh, we've never been shown the uh, United Nations development goals before by an uh, a financial advisor. No one has bothered raising that as a possible way into thinking about your investment strategy. And in looking at those goals and then looking at more detail in some of the funds that you were investigating and recommending to us, we realized the breadth uh, of investment possibilities that are there in areas that we never would have dreamed of. I mean, I can think of one company that's involved in, it's a cleaning company. I think they're in the States, in New York, and they're top of the pile in terms of saving water, in terms of how you clean. Uh, if you're using water, how can you clean with less water? And they've developed some amazing initiatives and some innovations in that area. Well, I never would have thought that this was uh, an important area of, of research and work. I wouldn't have been able to find a company that was doing that sort of thing. So to look at these funds and the companies that these fund managers have found, have selected, and have put together, especially in the ethically strong end of things, um, it's really exciting because not only can you see that these are companies that you're proud to be a part of, proud to be investing in, but because they're ethically strong, they provide quite a lot of information about what the company does and give you facts and figures to back up the statements that they are in fact doing the right thing and are helping with the UN sustainable goals, specifically here, here, and here. Um, and the, the level of transparency is remarkable for some of these companies uh, in the same way that the firms themselves, the, the fund managers, provide a huge amount of information about how they go about their work, what they're doing. One of them, I recall, has a book club within the fund management company. They have a book club. So the people working in that fund... <laughs> They get together and read the latest literature around ethical practices, ethical investing. I'm sure there's quite a lot of it coming out these days. It's a very current issue. It's changing and advancing rapidly. Well, they're keeping up with the speed of things by reading books and having a discussion about them, a book club. So my partner was especially impressed by that. So we're interested in and we decided to go with the ethically strong, the strongest we could partly because it gave us far more information on the companies and what they were doing. And it gave us information about the measurement of the ways in which they were doing good, the ways in which they were doing the right thing. Uh, and so that let us feel that we were, we were a part of what they were doing in a more direct way because we could see the results of our investment. And they provide 
a level of transparency unlike other companies. And of course, if a company is not prepared to tell you what they're doing, or they're not measuring their carbon footprint, or they simply have blanket vague statements saying, you know, we're ethically sound or whatever, you've got you've to be suspicious. What you want are companies that are going to provide you with facts and figures and give you the means with which you can judge for yourself that, yes, this fund is doing the right thing. My investment is having an impact. And it's not just having a vague impact, it's having a very specific impact. And they're telling me exactly how that money is being used and exactly what difference my investment is making. And I think that's incredible. I never would have thought that was possible. It is possible. So if, if I'm talking to anybody from here on in who's got some money to invest or if they're having a bit of a problem with the investments or the plan that they're in currently, I'm going to say, look, you could be doing a whole lot better than you are now. You just have no idea. Just you know, talk to this guy, Roger, and uh, he'll give you some ideas uh, that you never thought were possible in terms of the degree to which you can have an impact and learn about how a company that you're interested in is engaging in their work in a way that's making a real difference. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you can do this uh, very long and, and not think, well, this is opening up a huge range of possibilities. Uh, you, you can't possibly go back to the way most people are used to investing, which is to give your 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 money over to someone who says they're going to keep it safe, and uh, you're told you're saving the planet. Now go home and feel good about yourself, and that's pretty well it. Well. It's not pretty well, and it shouldn't be. We can do a far better job. And I think um, once we realize that, it gets pretty exciting. I think you, you you see this as an active role that you're playing. It's a whole new job for yourself, doing doing something useful and getting reports back that show how you're doing something useful. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's hugely empowering. Mark, in that first meeting, we also covered all the usual aspects within the investment planning process. We understood your current situation. We looked at your goals, lifestyle and legacy. We looked at your risk profile, where you sit on that traditional spectrum. So we could then go about recommending an appropriate mix of cash, fixed interest, property and shares. How did you find that part of the process? I think it was very clear. Um, the part of that process where we developed our risk profile is the only thing that resembled anything that we've had from previous um, advisors. Usually that's kind of the start and the end of it. Uh, what's your risk profile? Fill out this questionnaire. There you go. Here's your brochure. We're done. Have a nice day. Um, for us, uh, for Roger, you and you and um, my partner and I, that when we sat down and went through where we were at, you know, we had an extensive conversation about our current financial situation, our family situation, our goals, our dreams, our expectations, how much we thought we could live on going forward, what our retirement plans were, and so on. So I thought we provided what we could um, in terms of data and information. You asked for other information that you thought was necessary. And in the end, I felt comfortable that you had a good sense of our situation and a good understanding of uh, what our priorities are. And uh, you were able to arrive at a a plan uh, and, a, and a portfolio that um, made sense given our current situation and our you know, desires for what we wanted for the future. Thanks, Mark. It's key for us at Money Matters to undertake a very thorough examination to understand and diagnose your situation so we can then apply our expertise in prescribing an optimal plan. The process of Putting together the plan is sometimes like the medical specialist putting together the prescription. And whilst a medical specialist might be prescribing a range of medications, it's like a financial advisor might be looking at a range of funds as we do. And the key focus for us is the understanding of the client and the prescription. And rather than essentially representing one of those underlying pharmaceutical companies, if you like, or the medications, uh, it's important to have that independent perspective and be able to monitor and manage all those underlying solutions and funds that are a key part of what we then went about to put together in the plan for you. So 
When we got together to discuss your plan, we showed how it could be expected to meet your lifestyle and legacy goals before we got into the detail of the ethical funds. How was that part of the plan for you, Mark? Well, it gave us security in knowing that the funds were going to do what they needed to do, practically speaking, in terms of supporting us in our retirement. And it gave us a clear idea of um, how long our funds would last, uh, depending on how much we decided to withdraw per year and so on. So that was good. And I think that's a necessary part, obviously, of anyone's investment strategy is to work out how long our funds are going to last, if we're going to be drawing upon them and so on. So that was good and that was necessary. Um, The part that followed that for us was the most exciting, which was all the options, all the choices, all the funds. Because I was assuming at the beginning that there would be a relatively small number of funds and small number of companies that you were going to recommend for us. And as it turned out, it was far more diverse than that. It was um, several companies, several fund managers across the board um, representing many different companies doing a variety of things. So it just, again, opened up possibilities that I wouldn't have been able to um, have suggested or known about at the start of the process. And that to me was just an eye-opener. Uh, to realize that this field of ethical investing was already so far advanced that there was more than adequate choice in terms of the number of funds and the number of companies that those funds encompassed. So it was a really interesting uh, process to go through those funds with you and for you to describe the, uh, the pros and cons of different approaches and certainly to know which of the funds fell within the ethically strong end of things and why it was they were included there and the information from the ethical advisors co-op around uh, explaining what it meant to be ethically strong. And, you know, we had examples there with those funds, uh, exactly what it means to be transparent with your information, exactly what it means to be able to say, we have the numbers about our carbon footprint for this company or, uh, the number of megawatt hours of uh, uh, renewable energy they're generating because of your your investment or, you know, the, these relationships were clear and direct. So I think that for us was the exciting part. Looking at the security of our funds, how long our funds were going to last, how, you know, that basic family planning stuff financially, uh, we were used to that. And it was good, though, to get that nailed down. It was the follow-on from that that I think was really um, exciting. Not only could we ensure that we had financial security, but we had all these options, some amazing options for deciding how we could, while maintaining financial security, have our money work for the betterment of not just us, but for um, society, the world, and not just here, not just in New Zealand, but in countries all around the world. These companies are diverse and they're globally widely spread. Uh, so I think it's it, it, it felt for us that we were plugged into what was going on in the area of ethical investing, but also plugged into what some of the most innovative companies in the world are doing. And they're not all big, well-known companies. They don't all have to be Tesla. These are companies that are working, you know, in Timbuktu somewhere, but they're doing some amazing thing. And we're more than happy to help them do that thing because they're having a positive impact and they can tell us exactly how they're having a positive impact. I I can think of one uh, company that's involved in the education of of, uh, people who are less advantaged and don't normally have access to higher education. I think they're in the States somewhere. An amazing story. So again, it's uh, there are so many possible ways in which we discovered we could invest our funds in ways that were exciting in terms of the possibilities they opened up for 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 the for the people that they were serving and for the customers that they had and for the world they were working in these are things that wouldn't have occurred to us so again it 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 highlights to me the fact that this is a collaborative process it involves a network of people what we have in common is a shared set of values we have our ethics that we wear on our sleeve we have our values that we're prepared to and excited to discuss with one another. 
And we're all in the same place in terms of wanting to do the best we can. And therefore, we're sharing our information, we're uh, sharing websites, we're sharing articles that we've seen. And this is not just between you and me, Roger. This is no doubt between you and the fund managers and the fund managers themselves with their workers in their in their companies and their funds. Uh, and just conversations they have over a cup of coffee with friends of theirs, because this is what people in this field are living and breathing. It's not just a job. It's not just about keeping your money safe or ensuring that you're going to have a decent return. You know, it's about doing what we all know we need to be doing to ensure that we're going to be living in a better world going forward so that we can look our uh, children in the eye, our grandchildren, and say, we did what we could. Thanks, Mark. And that focus on making a difference, making a real impact alongside making money is key for us at Money Matters, and it's been exciting Let's now talk about a couple of examples of the many funds that we did include in your portfolio, Mark. In the fixed interest area, we included a relatively new global fixed interest fund from a fund manager that seeks to understand the world's social and environmental problems and to identify and invest primarily in debt issued by companies and organizations that the fund manager believes are addressing these needs in a differentiated way through their core products, services, and projects. What did you like most about that fund? Well, firstly, I was surprised to discover that what I thought was kind of a passive form of investment could actually be an active form of investment, that uh, this was another opportunity where you could make choices to do the right thing and have a positive impact, even if it was in that more, if you like, conservative end of of investing. So I think the one that you mentioned is the uh, fund that... um, uh, has categories that they use to discuss the way in which they invest the funds. So uh, Life Essentials, I think, was one that involves uh, affordable housing, clean water and sanitation, health, sustainable agriculture, human nutrition, and so on. Uh, They're concerned with human empowerment and uh, how we could do things like bridging the digital divide. Education, again, comes up, which is always one that... uh, strikes a bell with me, job training, um, being more financially uh, inclusive, safety and security, all these things. So I was impressed that a global fixed interest fund, which sounds pretty boring and straightforward and just sort of put your money there and don't think about it, was actually a pretty active area that even there, there were choices that could be made. There were options that you you look at and think, well, actually, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. So uh, every little pocket of this uh, portfolio and every um, option, every every piece of it, uh, I think is an op- opportunity to do something proactive. Whereas before, I thought that some forms of investment were more or less uh, boring and um, you didn't have many options. And in a few areas, maybe you did have some options. Well, actually, it seems you have options right across the board, whether it's a, a fixed interest fund or... Um, an actively managed portfolio of companies that are out there doing exciting things. So, yeah, I, I was impressed. I, I didn't realize that even within a fixed interest fund, you could do um, so many interesting things. It's very exciting to see how New Zealand fund managers are looking around the world for the best ethical fixed interest managers and then bringing that expertise to New Zealand in the form of a fund that can be accessed locally. So that particular fund is an important step forward. As you mentioned, they have the different categories from life essentials, human empowerment, and also the environment where they're looking at things like alternative energy, resource efficiency, and resource stewardship. So let's now turn to the international share funds. And in that category, we started by including an award-winning, highly-rated index fund with 200 shares and a very high bar of ethical standards. What appealed to you about that particular fund, Mark? Well, I was impressed with the fact that they had a focus or have a focus on uh, what they call climate leaders. Um, So they look for companies that are in the top third of their industries in terms of carbon efficiency. And that 100% of the power generated by these companies 
in the portfolio come from renewable sources, I think, um, compared with a much smaller proportion, 17% or thereabouts in a comparative index. So they were clearly doing the work required to pick companies that were doing what I would have wanted them to be doing rather than just uh, an average of what was going on across the the board in, in, in their industries. We also, we were quite pleased to see that they were excluding the things, screening out those things that we didn't want to support, whether it was fossil fuels, gambling, tobacco, armaments, cruelty to animals, um, human rights issues, supply chain concerns, and so on. So they were going beyond excluding things we didn't want to have anything to do with, and they were being more proactive in choosing those climate leaders that were operating at the top of the game when it came to both renewable energy generation and their um, carbon footprint. So we were we were pretty impressed with that. We also included a range of the most positive impact funds with the highest alignment with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Now, each of those several funds have about 50 companies in them and are actively managed funds. What did you like about those funds, Mark? Well, these were, I think, the most impressive um, funds of all the ones we were looking at because they provided a lot of detailed information about the companies that were within their portfolios. So if you've got 50, or in one case, I think it was closer to 40, 43 or so companies that they were um, currently had in their portfolio, but they knew everything about these companies. And you could look up on their website any question you had about their activities, their uh, outcomes, their um, carbon footprints, their, you know, and, and I think it might have been that fund or one of them that allowed you to use the calculator online where you could plug in how much money you were intending to invest in their fund. And you could see in real time, it was a really great animated information graphic, you could see what effect your investment was going to have. So how many kilowatts uh, hours of uh, renewable energy was going to be generated, or how many young children are going to be educated, or uh, how many issues around flooding were going to be addressed, whatever. I mean, they had very specific uh, outcomes, and you could see what those outcomes were with numbers attached to them. So it wasn't just you're going to, you know, we're going to save some carbon. Well, how many, how much carbon is going to be saved? You know, um, you're going to save water because this company is really cutting edge in terms of using less water, you know, say for cleaning or whatever it might be. Well, how much water are you going to save? Well, how much you can invest will tell you. So I, I was really impressed with the uh, the high level of transparency in these funds and the degree of detail uh, about the impact that the investment that we were considering making was going to have through these companies that were in their fund. So the transparency and the detailed information were the two things that I think impressed us most. We also included a range of several of the most positive impact funds with the highest alignment with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. These funds typically have around 50 companies each. They're actively managed funds. What did you like most about those funds, Mark? Well, we were pretty impressed to see that these portfolios of global companies are going out of their way to provide solutions to address the sustainability challenges along the lines of what the UN Sustainability Goals outline. So, for example, one of the funds that I can remember has nine sustainable investment themes. Five of these are around the environment, cleaner energy, environmental services, resource efficiency, sustainable transport. I think water management was another one. And four of these were social, so education, health, safety, well-being. Those are things that I'm, I'm less likely to uh, think about immediately, but obviously they make sense when you see them as a, as a package here. Uh, these funds really impressed us because they have these calculators that show investors the positive impact uh, that they're going to have by investing in these funds. So you can enter an, an amount that you plan to invest, and you can see what impact that amount is going to have in terms of things like how many megawatts of renewable energy uh, would be generated or how many tons of waste might be recycled or recovered or how many tons of CO2 emissions would be avoided or even how many COVID tests might be produced in one case. So you can see in real time immediately the impact of your investment 
uh, and what it's going to mean in terms of improvements to the environment and uh, uh, yeah, the kinds of things that we want to see happen. You can, you can see it happening in, in effect or previewed right before your very eyes with these uh, graphic calculators. So that level of transparency and accountability that you mentioned you were looking for when we first got together, that level of impact and the way in which a difference can be made by ethical investors is very clear and very transparent in those examples. I think you went so far as to go and check out links that we gave you to the respective underlying funds and saw videos and resources about them, including on the Ethical Advisors Co-op. So well done on that, Mark. And I think that there's a whole another podcast we could have just on those funds alone. These funds make it easy because they provide links within their description of these companies and what they're doing. So it's not hard or time-consuming to just uh, follow the links they've provided, and you can go as deep as you want in terms of what these companies are doing and the results that your investment might have. So yeah, I was really impressed. We both were really impressed with the level of detail. It's, we hadn't encountered uh, that level of transparency or detail of information before. So that's a huge difference in investing ethically, especially uh, in this ethically strong end of things. Yeah, really rich case studies within the underlying companies in which the funds are investing in the context of these share funds and even back with the fixed interest funds, the impact they're having. And of course, there are also property funds in the portfolio which have a sustainable focus as well. In your plan, we explained the research process, including the Ethical Advisors Co-op LEAF ratings, where advisors as members of the co-op rate their perception of the ethical dimension of funds, ranging from excellent to poor, and how these ratings are published on the co-op website. So what was your impression of the value of the LEAF ratings to investors? Well, it helped, certainly, because we had a sense of where a particular fund sat on that gradation of um, moderately ethical to really going out there to do the right thing, ethical. And uh, I think in terms of the funds that we looked at more closely, they tended to be four leaves. I'm not sure if I've seen a fund that's got five leaves yet, but um, it became much easier to get a sense of where each of these funds sat relative to one another. So if it had two leaves, we knew that it was worth looking at, but there might be some issues where they're a bit lacking, maybe in the area of... Um, uh, data that they provide or the level of transparency or how active the fund managers could be with pushing the board of directors, whatever it might be. But as you move towards four and hopefully five leads out of five, um, you've got just about everything you can ask for in terms of information, transparency, and you know being proactive in uh, the work that the uh, companies in these funds are doing. So I think it does help it makes it easier for us to get a sense of where we're at and where these funds are in terms of that range between moderately or light ethical to strongly ethical. From a Money Matters perspective, it's been a great asset to be part of the co-op. worked with some of the folks there since the late 80s when we were getting started within the industry in Australia and New Zealand. And it's really developed to a whole nother level of insight. The ratings go into things like fund manager engagement with the companies in which they're investing and really checking that the fund managers are meeting with the boards, they're raising ethical concerns, that they're reporting back to us you know, as investment advisors and to you as underlying investors on just what impact the engagements had. At Money Matters, we look at those as a, a key resource for investors to check out. So we certainly encourage listeners to look at the co-op website and there's an ethical investment guide from the co-op as well and various video videos from the underlying fund managers taking a strong interest in this field. So we've covered today, Mark, a lot of territory from your motivations and our first meeting through to your plan and portfolio. How would you sum up your experience working with Money Matters and would you encourage others to do so? 
Well, the, the main takeaway for me is that this is an education that we've just begun, really. Uh, I used to think that putting your money in some kind of investment was an end. Like you you chose your financial advisor, they helped you choose some funds, you put your money in, then you you let it sit. You meet with them once a year, have a bit of a chat. Has your situation changed? Well, if not, we just let things go as they've been going. But I realize now that it's a far more active process. It can be. And um, it's an education. Um, we feel we've joined a movement, really, that we're part of a, a development whereby people are taking control of their um, their money, of their funds, in order to put their funds to good, positive, proactive use. Um, and in working with people like yourself, Roger, and you've got the fund managers, you've got others in the co-op that you're working with, it's it's a it's a network. It's a community of people that we feel we're working in collaboration with, really, um, to ensure that as we go forward, we're doing whatever we can for the good with the funds that we have uh, to invest. And we've learned also that, unlike our previous experience, uh, we discovered that there are innovative funds, there are innovative fund managers, there are companies out there that have a passion for making a positive difference in the world. And there are companies, funds, fund managers, uh, financial advisors who are more than talking the talk, they're walking the walk and we can walk with them. Thanks very much, Mark, for your generous sharing of your experience and your insights. It's wonderful to be on this ethical investment journey with you. As you said, it's a a movement. It's certainly a, a passion, I'm sure listeners experienced that from you today in terms of your passion and commitment to the field and it's a privilege to work with you on this thanks again for your time it's really appreciated and i'm looking forward to our continuing journey together any final words from you mark oh just that uh, again uh, i see this as the beginning um and uh, yeah i'm excited about where we're going to get to from here Brilliant. So thanks again, Mark. Thanks, Roger. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. So folks, having listened to this podcast, if you would like financial advice or more information, you can contact me on phone 09 366 1672 or email, that's roger with a D, at moneymatters.co.nz. You can also explore the resources on the Money Matters website and the Ethical Advisors Co-op website. Thanks for listening and all the very best for your ethical investment journey. Kia ora.